and those experiments being like creative code and just like experimenting with the new platform. It's like you kind of have to be creative if you're working with like something totally new and fresh. Hi everyone, welcome and thank you for joining me. My name is Franco Vriano and I'll be your host for the Tech Plus Art podcast. Tech Plus Art is the community for curious individuals and creators who are looking to make a dent in the universe. Together, we're exploring the new frontiers of creativity, humanity, and how emerging technologies will continue to shape our culture, professions, products, and much more. Join me on this journey as we speak with artists, makers, researchers, designers, and creators from all backgrounds and fields. Tech Plus Art is an inclusive community, and we make our content for you. So we want to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, topics you'd like us to explore or contribute to yourself, reach out to us on Twitter or via the website. You can check us out at maketechart.com or at maketechart everywhere else. So with that out of the way, let's get to today's episode. All right, so today we're chatting with an extremely talented graphic artist and creative coder, Connor Bell. Connor is a fellow Canadian who moved from Nova Scotia to Montreal to pursue his career and interest in creative uses of code and tech. He's an established freelance creator, animator, and is doing a ton of work around shaders and procedural generation. Most recently, he's been working on open source contribution to help others take their work and have it efficiently rendered in VR. So a huge thank you to Connor for joining us today. Hey, Connor, thanks so much for joining us today and, and being on the podcast. Hey, Franco. Yeah, no problem. It's my pleasure. I really appreciate it. And so to kick things off, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Like, where are you from? What was it like growing up and what did you study? I'm from Nova Scotia and growing up, it was kind of boring. It was one of those towns where you have to make your own fun. And so I did that by uh, staying inside a lot of the time and making uh, little programs for the computer, making video games and stuff. That's how I kind of got started programming. And then I went to school for it at Dalhousie because that's kind of what I thought you had to do if you wanted to do something professionally. But during that time, I discovered a lot of people using code to make art, and I decided to go that route. And basically, school gave me the time to understand how I wanted to apply my knowledge of computer science to creating art through code. Sweet. And so you mentioned kind of, you know, having to make your own fun, staying inside and your own programs to kind of see the visualizations. What ended up really pushing you down more of a creative path, like discovering that like this can actually be a career? Like, how did that happen? Was it, you know, moving to Montreal or was it somewhere along the way? I think it was just working so closely in video games. That's kind of what I started working on is like video games are just like compositions of all the, these different types of arts. You have like sound design, game design, environmental design, making the models for the game, storylines and everything. It just is like combination. If you like look at one component just individually, it's like, wow, this is magnificent. And then, but it's like oftentimes you see everything together and you're like, oh, it's just a video game. It's like, it's supposed to be like this, but it's like, they're really quite beautiful and uh, creative when you uh, look at them at a finer detail. So I think I started designing like procedurally generated levels, like geometry, like worlds that never end or worlds that like I didn't just build in a 3D modeling program, but I built with code. And then I kind of realized that people do that intentionally to make things that aren't video games, like procedural art and stuff like that. And also in sound design too, people make procedural sound. In games, they make procedural narrative. There's so many types of things you can use procedural generation for. It's quite amazing. Yeah, that sounds really cool. And so I know that we've talked about this a little bit in the past, you and I, but you know, where do you get your ideas and inspiration from and what's your creative process like? How do you balance creating and, and then also the engineering side? 
I mainly just get influenced by my friends and peers, both on the internet and offline. I feel like I get a lot of inspiration from nature as well. I try to get outside despite growing up in front of a computer. You know, I really have a fascination for nature and I think that really shows in my algorithms. And I also get inspired, I don't know, by anything really, by skateboarding, by my hobbies. Music often inspires code. Code inspires music. Um, there's often a, like a nice positive feedback loop there. And my creative process, it's hard to say what that actually is. It's like, because my whole process, there are various aspects of my process that are creative, that I apply like creativity within, I guess. But it's not just like one thing. So it's like oftentimes there's an engineering phase where I basically, I think it starts actually with more of an idea phase where I'm trying to like generate an idea, like what I actually want to work on. I usually just don't jump into things blindly and just try to like do improv code or something. Although I do sometimes do that. Usually it starts like in a sketchbook or something or in my head, which is a sketchbook as well. <laughs> and then it kind of is decomposed then into engineering tasks. It's like, okay, what is actually required to make this vision happen? So engineering tasks, despite them being very, maybe like academic or like, I'm picturing just like code workers in an office building, like not very, like not the most glamorous creative job sort of thing, but that can often be creative in itself because I find code is inspiring. And while writing the algorithms, you think of other ideas and other ways it can be structured that can afford as many different setups and whatever you're working on, it's extremely contextual. Basically, during this engineering phase, you try to keep in mind how you can enable creativity in more of like a, a flow state where you can give yourself time to play with whatever you made to generate something. So while writing the back end, in this case, I'm talking about like procedurally generated code, you set up the parameters so you can sort of explore the space in which you created in a way that is like not limiting to you having to change the code every time. So I find it really helpful to be able to control what you created with a MIDI controller or a mouse or a keyboard or something like that. So you can stay in the visualization you created without having to go and change the code all the time. I find that really helpful and a crucial part of the creative process because it just helps you iterate fast, exploring what is possible within the bounds of what you created. Now, is that specific to the type of work you do, procedural, you know, graphics or the, the shaders, or is that just generally like, you know, across the board, anybody could set that up? Anybody across the board can set that up. And I think it doesn't just apply to creative people or in general, like I'm talking about like exploring parameter spaces, right? Which I think can also be compared to like writing unit tests for code. If you've ever heard of that, it's like, I don't know much about them because I don't write many tests myself, but like I know the concept of them. It's like you write a bunch of tests to validate that your code is working properly. So it's basically instead of controlling a knobs to explore what this value does to code, it's like you write a unit test, which is like usually like a for loop or something like that, which iterates through a ton of different possible values through a function and makes sure that they all are what you expect them to be and that the code works the way it should. So it's like exploring the possibility space of variables that you're sending into these functions. So yeah, I don't think it's specific to shader code at all. So I think it definitely exploring possibility spaces is something we all do, I think.
Yeah, absolutely. That's super cool. And so, you know, kind of on that uh, thread a little bit more, well, I'm sure it varies like from project to project. Are there any tools that you use in particular or that you've created to help you better explore some of these possibilities, some of this space? Yeah, I use tools a lot and I write my own tools as well. I write a lot of my code in the Unity game engine, which I think would, would you classify that as a tool? Yeah, I think, I, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, okay, cool. And then within Unity, I also write tools to help my workflow and everything like that. But I'm trying to move more away from proprietary software, like software that is like owned by a massive corporation and stuff and try to move toward open source software when possible. Like I'm looking at things like open frameworks and processing because it's like why use a massive software if you don't have to sort of thing. Like there are something sometimes where it's unavoidable. It's like, oh, if you want to work in VR or something, it's like the only real good VR support things it's like within the bounds of massive software mm -hmm. sort of thing massive tools so kind of unavoidable depending on what you're targeting but yeah i do really appreciate writing tools and i think it's a crucial part of my workflow it's like writing tools to enable myself to create faster and iterate things faster and yeah i try to open source things when i can I find when I don't work with the team, it's harder to be motivated to work on the open source tools in a way that is useful because um, with a team, it's like you're trying to write really good commit messages to like describe what you did in this code and commit often. And But usually when I'm working on my own projects, it's just like I commit like 50 different files at once and like the commit message is like, I did a thing or something like that. And it's like not extremely helpful. But I feel like once I figure out something really meaningful to work on in open source. Like that could be the motivation I need to start writing more clean open source software that is more easier to jump onto from an outsider perspective or something. So talking about open frameworks and maybe some of those other open source things, as, as you dive in and sort of explore a project or a concept of, of what you're hoping to kind of have the code create or output or, or find a direction, and then you start building some of those scripts or, or plugins or tools for yourself just to kind of help further. What's that kind of creative process like in, like in your mind in terms of starting, stopping, and, and continuing to explore? Is it something that happens in a very linear fashion? Or do you often revisit projects, you know, over time and, and figure out like, hey, I once wrote this script and now I can reuse it over here? How does that fit into your creative process? Yeah, I will definitely look up old code all the time. There'll be fragments of something that I'll be like, oh, this would go great here. And I'll look up the really old project on GitHub or something like that. And usually it's just like a single shader file or something like that. That just allows a certain functionality. But pretty straightforward. Just pick and choosing what I need from older projects and incorporating them into new ones. That's very cool. And so what has been you know, one of your most ambitious projects to date? I feel like my most ambitious projects have never been completed because they're too ambitious in a way. Like I designed something like way too much or like way over ambitious that I didn't really actually have the attention span to follow through with. But I will share that I did last year. It was really had an idea for a project. I wanted to help people understand how to prevent fentanyl overdoses by uh, like a VR experience. And I thought about this idea a lot and I was like, oh, it's like actually going to be great and it's going to help people and stuff. At the end of the day, I just decided to cancel it because I'm like, how much is this actually going to help people? Like it's VR, like who has access to VR? It's people who are probably not very at risk to like saving someone from an overdose on fentanyl sort of thing. So I like, 
I felt like it wasn't the best way to help by like, oh yeah, I'm going to invest a year into this project that two people are going to see. And it's mostly just for me to make myself feel like I'm doing like humanitarian work when actually I'm just like messing around in VR sort of thing. So that was probably my most ambitious project that wasn't completed or never talked about really. So this is probably the only documentation of it. Well, that's cool. Uh, it's, it's important to take on, you know, like big things, uh, you know, because it gives you a chance to learn and kind of expand your horizons, even if maybe this in this particular instance, the use case or, or delivery mechanism didn't maybe match the target market the same. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I feel like just learning from that will make me better at designing projects in the future. Like I learned a lot of things about target yeah. market, I guess, and target audience. I, I could talk about like my most ambitious project that I didn't complete. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, go for like, it. <laughs> it. It might have been Glitch Wizard because it's an app that I wrote with my friend Alan LaFell like five years ago now. Five years ago today, we were probably working in some like hot, sweaty office, <laughs> like, uh, working on this glitch tool for iOS that lets you distort images and turn them into animations through various data bending techniques. And it was a huge app. At first, we actually were ambitious enough to experiment with it as a social network. So you would sign up with your own accounts and you would choose your location for where your wizard tower is. And that would be where you cast all your glitches from. So you could like send glitches to other people using the app by pointing your phone in the direction of their wizard tower and then like kind of like shooting it off like that. And then they would like receive the glitched image and it was really up there. It was, we made like a beta version of it. And, but then we were like, oh, we actually don't want to run a social network and like have the uh, obligations that that comes with that like yep. it was it would just be like way too much so we just decided to make it a standalone application where you could surround we made it really easy for people to share it on other social networks so we integrated all of the apis for facebook and twitter and tumblr and stuff so it was really easy to share your content with the people who want to see it and we're actually, we're working on a, a five-year anniversary update right now. We haven't updated it in like a couple of years, but we're going to fix some bugs and add some new glitches into it, polish up some old ones. It's going to be like a legacy update. So I'm pretty excited about it because not a lot of people know that I made this tool. It's like most people who follow me online are interested in like the animations that I make and the work that I've been doing just the last two or three years. And it would be nice to sort of like bring this back and be like, oh yeah, I made this like a long time ago and here's like a free update. I think we're, we've been talking about making it free too, but there's like a lot of, it's like how much work do we actually want to put back into this and like versus like what we want to get out of it sort of thing. So still yeah, a work in us. We'll have to check it out when the update is out. Cheers. Thank you. So we mentioned a little bit earlier that like, you know, you, you were also a freelancer working on a whole bunch of projects with various teams. So how do you find the balance between creating for yourself and creating for a living? Are they kind of one and the same for you in terms of being able to push your skills and your, your curiosity forward while also, you know, paying the bills or are they two separate things that you purposely separate? Definitely get inspiration from working on client projects. It's kind of like a gray zone sometimes because sometimes they'll own the IP that I'm like programming for them. So it's like I can't directly go and take what I was working on and like apply it to something else because they technically own it. But I'll definitely get into creative uh, zones in work that I'm like, oh, this can be used other places or like, I love this effect. I'll develop a new shader that I never knew I could work on or something like that. 
So yeah, it depends on the project too. Like I'm working on a project now where I'm just writing image filters for people and programming them just feels creative. Like it doesn't feel like I'm doing work per se. It's just creative work. They really appreciate my creative direction. And they have like some suggested things that they suggested effects like from YouTube videos and stuff that they would like to see in the app. And I basically take those and like program them myself and it feels really cool to have my creativity like appreciated and stuff and um, through clients who are actually like paying me. It also helps that I don't like work very much to like have a balance between my like professional work and my own projects. I'm like privileged enough to only have to be able to work a small amounts of time in order to support my personal projects, which I really appreciate and is like super helpful because my partner just like went to work for like an eight hour shift and they are like struggling to like create on their own time. And I'm just like, oh, I guess I will over for a couple of hours today and play some games and then I'll uh, work on some creative stuff if I'm feeling like it sort of thing. And like, so I'm super lucky, I feel. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. And so to help maybe get more people into that or to help people discover or unlock some of their creativity if they don't think that they're a creative person or you as somebody who's in the middle of it, who kind of sees the landscape, what do you think is missing in the industry kind of at large? What do you wish existed or what would make, you know, more creators feel more of their potential and, and feel fulfilled as people who are out there, you know, putting their, their dent in the universe? Probably community. Like I find community super important for me having the ability to like get mentors and stuff who aren't just like a, a face online. It's really important. People being able to feel their work is valued by people. Like I think like local platforms are important, like a local community and meetups and stuff like that, because people have the opportunity to go and talk with real people about real projects they're working on. And I think that's really important because like online getting started, it can be like kind of an echo chamber and like, it's like extremely hard to get started and like people to actually see your work. So, and that can be discouraging for some people. So by having a local context to show your work in, I think that's, it's really, really helpful to people. I went to a festival in Berlin once called Amaze. It's like this experimental indie game festival where in the beer garden, the galleries were centered around a beer garden because Berlin. And in this beer garden, there was what they called open screens. So they just had a, like a bunch of screens lined up and HDMI cables where people could just plug in their laptop and like plug in some controllers and people can just come over and test their game. And it was a great way for people to get feedback on their work, a great way to meet people who are doing the same things and even like potentially collaborators. I like met people there that I still talk to and this was three years ago. It was a really good way to feel like your work can be shown and appreciated because it's like not like you're applying to talk or like go to a festival where it's like you already have to be established in order to like have an audience and a context surrounding the presentation of your game. But it's just super relaxed, super casual, just like as long as you don't have like hate speech or like something like that in your application, then like go ahead, like show what you've been working on. It's like, I feel like it's really important. I want to see what people are making. It's just like probably some of the best stuff is made by people that just don't know how to show it and like don't have a context for it. I'm interested to see what they're making. Yeah, I really like that concept. And I think what you're saying resonates a lot from what I've seen in other industries too. Usually when, you know, there's a new group of people who are trying to like get something started, maybe thinking or applying what they know in a different way. The most important thing right off the bat is to always get together and, you know, have that community share those challenges and experiences, discoveries, excitement, because obviously if it's your support group, they're the ones who 
keep you going. Yeah, absolutely. So that's awesome. So talking about some of the work that you're doing, some of the things that are starting to happen uh, online in the community where those pockets do exist, where do you think the future of the the industry is, is headed? It's hard to say, but maybe it can be predicted a bit by some of the niche schools that are popping up, like the school in New York, the school for poetic comp- computation. I feel like more places like that will pop up. And I don't think they treat it, I'm not sure how much of like an industry I would call it, but more of like a community and stuff would definitely grow. And it's hard to classify what the creative coding industry is because like you said, it's so broad. It can be applied in so many different contexts. Like we experience creative coding, the outputs of creative coding, whether we know it or not, whether it's like like a label on a a can of soda or something, Mm -hmm. or if it's a video game, things are appreciated in different ways and stuff. But I definitely, yeah, see a lot more unique communities coming out of this, like a culture, a subculture called live coding is like emerging and like starting to become a thing where people do performances with creative code and just in front of an audience where the code is on a projector and the output of the code is also on the projector. And usually it's incorporated with music. And they're called algo raves, like algorithm raves. So that, that's pretty cool to see. Like, I think more subcultures like that will emerge. I mean, it's always hard to predict the future, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I feel like there'll be more like conferences surrounding creative coding. Like oftentimes it's like grouped with designers and web programmers and stuff. I feel like there'll be more of a focus and like appreciation once the culture grows. And yeah, obviously I think it'll be applied to fair new emerging platforms as well. Like, like it already is like AR and mixed reality. Because a lot of the things that you see happen at first are creative coding, like demos, like demos as in like somebody made a little proof concept of some like skeleton being like mapped all around the room or something like that. And then like they post it on Twitter and it's like not actually something like you can go and download and use, but like people using new technology for experiments and those experiments being like creative code and just like experimenting with the new platform. It's like, you kind of have to be creative if you're working with like something totally new and fresh. Yeah, absolutely. It's super cool. And so I guess kind of on that note and, and some of the build up, other than uh, what, what you've mentioned, like, you know, Glitch Wizards five year anniversary release, like what's next for you? Are there any projects that you are able to talk about that you're working on uh, either right now or like, Maybe after the summer, once once the anniversary uh, is released, like, you know, kind of your next thing. Is there anything that, that you're able to share about where your path is taking you? Yeah, absolutely. I've been this summer working toward building a couple of VR experiences based around my latest fractal work, fractal shader work. I basically, I took like two months and had to go into a deep academic research phase where I just learned about these new algorithms to adapt my work to VR because my work in its current state as like a standalone shader is really computationally expensive. So you need like a really powerful computer to run it like full screen. And when you work with VR, you have to render everything for both your right and your left eye. So it doubles the computational cost of what you're doing. So it automatically becomes like way more expensive. So I had to research techniques to make that a lot easier for the computer to do. So basically, instead of rendering both eyes, you just render it once and then you project from each eye onto the center like depth map eye. And then you render each eye from that. It's called stereoscopic reprojection. And 
that was kind of like a lot to understand. And um, there's also some other tedious techniques I won't bore you with, but, um, <laughs> um, but, stuff. but yeah, it was basically stuff that was never, it's never been worked on in an open source context. So it like all together in this like one package, it's only some person did a presentation on it that was working for a commercial company and like it's a closed source project, but like they described it, described the papers they were working from. So just been like researching a lot of those. So with this new fractal work being adapted to VR, I just want to create an explorative context where people can mess around and like explore the various possibility spaces of fractal generation. And I want to incorporate sound into it as well. And I don't, I don't often work with sounds, so, but I, I love music. I love creating music and stuff, but I never actually try to compose anything. So I would really, really like to experiment with music. So this project, I think, is more for myself and just to like have something like out there that you can interact with VR, open sourcing code that I've just extracted from various research papers is, is like really important to me because I said it's like never been open source before. So I'm excited to actually be like, oh, here's the open source project for this kind of complicated thing. And you can like reuse it in AR and like mobile platforms and stuff like that for doing this type of rendering, yeah. which I think is pretty valuable and is something that I'm excited to give back to the community and talk about with people. Yeah, I want to use uh, that sort of rendering algorithm to play around with various concepts in VR and kind of see where those take me. It would be nice to sort of design like a narrative-based experience, but I've scoped it just to uh, sort of an abstract explorative project first, just to sort of have like a proof of concept out there. And then I kind of want to design something more with the narrative that I can like submit to festivals and stuff like that and like show people and post online. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm looking forward uh, to it. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. It's, it sounds exciting, you know. Cheers, so. thanks. I feel like it would be cool to target the Oculus Quest or like those standalone VR headsets where you don't need to like lug around a computer or like a massive gaming laptop in order to like demo it. Mm -hmm. Those like new untethered VR headsets is like they're less powerful, but like maybe my algorithm is like performance enough to run on it. I don't know. I haven't tested. I don't have one, but basically just need to get one. But that would be ideal, so I can like just show it to people in the park or something like that. Cool. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned that there's a whole bunch of challenges getting started. Obviously, community sometimes going online, having an echo chamber, that kind of stuff. If you were to get started today or if somebody approached you and said, where do I get started? You know, what, what is the one or two things that you would share with them? Basically, like what resources would you point them towards and, and what advice would you give? Definitely a tricky question because it all depends on what their goals are, basically. Like if they're interested in writing shaders, I would definitely point them to the book of shaders. It's an unfinished book, but what's there is like absolute gold and it describes concepts even outside of shaders at like the best descriptions I've ever seen. It describes noise extremely well, which is just a, a technique for generating random numbers in any dimension. But it also describes like the fundamentals of shaders. And shaders are like almost a universal program in some sense, because almost any engine that you work with will support the use of shaders. So that's a good way to sort of pick up something that you know you can use in several contexts. But if the if the person who wants to get started wants to learn something specific, I would probably have a conversation with them about 
and try to lead them and figure out what they want to focus on. It's like whether it's using a proprietary software like Touch Designer or Unity, if they wanted to build large room scale installations with several computers or something like that, something really ambitious like that. So maybe use like proprietary software, but if they just want to like display visual output with code and share it with people, perhaps 3JS where you can just create something on the web and then easily host it and share it with people on mobile or desktop very easily. That's a really good way to get started and also share your work too, because you can <clears throat> make things interactive. Probably the easiest way because nobody has to like go and download a program and run an executable or something. It's all entirely in the browser. But yeah, if it's just for themselves, I'd probably suggest open frameworks especially if they want to like take it to uh, like a higher level someday and like build installations and stuff. Open Frameworks looks really nice, even though I haven't used it myself yet. I still like love the idea of it and maybe processing as well, depending on their level experience and like desire to, to learn a platform because pl processing is very easy just to get started and it's all in Java. So it's pretty intuitive in a way. You don't need to worry about memory management or any complicated things. It's basically like you can just get started really easily. There's a lot of examples. There's a lot of good YouTube channels these days too, describing a lot of creative coding things. Like Daniel Schiffman has a really good YouTube channel. He uploads like 10 videos a day about like amazing topics. I also like, this isn't directly... Creative coding is used to create this, but the videos of three blue, one brown basically describe mathematics in a visual way. But they almost inspire me a lot in like a creative coding way because the way the visuals are demonstrated and coincided with like functions and which is trying to in the functions is working with. So it's a really good visualization of mathematical concepts and feel like that's a good start for inspiration, like trying to represent mathematical things visually, I think is really cool. And although they don't talk about the code, it's like it might be a good exercise for people to take what they're doing and try to represent it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Tons of good resources. So we'll make sure that we link to those and, you know, your previous talks and stuff in, in the show notes and, and on the site so people can check out all the stuff we've, we've talked about today. Just before we wrap up, is there anything like you want to leave us with, like last words of advice or um, something like that? Probably just just experiment like you're never going to like start unless you try sort of thing like just try to find what's holding you back and try to work through that if you can just try to meet people who are doing the same thing like i probably i wouldn't be where i was today if i didn't have the mentors that helped me through everything get started on things so like community is super important i want to reiterate and it's possible even if you live in a small town too you just have to drive or meet people online. There's lots of great Slack communities for creative developers and things like that. But also, yeah, get inspired by things that aren't the computer. It's like oftentimes it's just going on a hike or something can be really inspirational and like representing things that you see in nature with code, I think is is really, really nice because you're not just you're not just representing something that you saw already digitized, like on Twitter or something. It's like you're the idea is like more original to some extent if it's all just confabulated in nature and then transcribed onto the computer. Absolutely. That's awesome. Connor, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to chat with us today, man. It was awesome to have you on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Franco. Great to talk to you. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Tech Plus Art Podcast. We're a very small team behind this project, so we greatly appreciate all your support. If you love our content and these podcasts, consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or two. 
This really does go a long way in helping us get discovered and reach more creators. As always, you can find us online at maketechart.com and at maketechart everywhere else. See you soon.